Hey, hey, you're listening to the Let's Heal Already podcast for the sometimes impatient, sometimes cranky person doing some healing. And I'm your host, JR. I'm an author, actor, and speaker from Far Rockaway, New York. And on this podcast, you'll hear me cover ground on a variety of topics from mental wellness and emotional literacy to blackness to masculinity and femininity, to ending misogyny and patriarchy, to last but not least, bisexuality and ending sexual shame. Hey, hey, I'm back at it again with another episode. So for today's episode, I'm going to be responding to this article that hit the timeline last week and has been making a big splash, not only on Twitter, but also on things like Reddit and also yahoo uh commenter i think that's what it's called like you know you can leave comments and stuff so the name of the article is is therapy speak making us selfish and this was written by rebecca fishbean for bustle okay so i don't know like there's so much to say and i'm actually i'm okay i'm gonna talk about how excited i am to talk about this um and how excited i am that people are having these conversations so many of you know i started my journey into therapy and mental wellness in like 2011, 2012. And I say this all the time because it's so informative of how I feel and where I come from that when I was starting my mental wellness journey, this is something that was not talked about. It was very, very niche. And also you were seen as frankly like you were crazy if you were in therapy in 2011 and 2012 from where I come from and the environments that I was in you were seen as though like there was something wrong with you and that is because socially that was unacceptable at the time now flash forward to the year we're in now 2023 if you are not in therapy in many of the communities I moved through and the neighborhoods that I frequent you are now seen as crazy once again. Like everybody should be in therapy. Either nobody should be in therapy back in 2011 because if you're in therapy, that means you're crazy or you're crazy if you're not in therapy because everyone should be in therapy. I'm noticing a trend there, okay? So I will always speak about that. And the reason why I'm saying this is because this topic and a lot of the things that the mindset of, oh, everybody should be in therapy, I really feel like this is really confronting this idea that like, oh yeah, the world would just be automatically better if everybody was in therapy or everybody should be in therapy, whether or not the world would be better, it's just better for you. And articles like this really start to complicate that narrative. So I really want to give a hats off to Rebecca Fishbean. I hope I'm pronouncing your last name properly. And really, like, this topic is so needed to discuss, and many people have discussed it. I've discussed it. Other Black creators have discussed it in the past. Other women have discussed it. Feminists have discussed it about how some men and how some abusers who are not men as well will go into therapy, will adapt and learn therapy speech, and they will use it to harm people. They will use it to manipulate people. They will use it to outsmart people and gaslight people. And this idea that therapy in and of itself is just this solely positive thing is just perfect. It's good. It's going to fix all your problems and wave a magic fairy wand and make all of it go away. It is not true. And that is damaging. 
And on top of it being damaging, this idea that therapy is always a good experience for everyone, regardless of their sexuality or their gender identity, or whether they're neurotypical or neurodiverse, that is not true. That is gaslighting. And so, and I didn't even mention race, you know, when you are a marginalized person along several different accesses, you likely will not have a great time in therapy. You will likely be gaslit in in CBT talk therapy. And it is really um, frustrating and harmful when the narrative has shifted from if you're in therapy, you're crazy to if you're not in therapy, there's something wrong with you because therapy is not a safe space for everybody. Just because you had a wonderful experience, even if you have a few marginalized entities or many, that does not mean that other people have that same experience. That does not mean that other people were paired with a therapist who was equipped, was paired with a therapist who was not uh, um, engaging in, um, what is it called? What's that thing? Uh, transference? Counter-transference? Either counter-transference or transference. I think it's counter-trans... I think it's transference. Basically, <laughs> it's kind of similar. It's, it's transference is like... Child, let me get the definition first. Hold up. I'm not even going to say what it is. Hold on. So according to Oxford Dictionary, counter-transference is the emotional reaction of the analysis to the subject's contribution. So wait, what does that mean in like layman's terms? Basically, it's like when a therapist inappropriately discloses personal information or they offer advice, they don't have strong boundaries, they develop a strong romantic feeling toward you or even like a paternal feeling toward toward you or something that's outside of the realms of strictly like professional therapist or like some of the information that you've divulged has now reminded them of something from their past so now they're responding to you not as like a neutral professional but they're responding as though you are that thing from that past their past or you your situation is exactly the same situation that they have experienced in the past now that crosses ethical lines and in addition to crossing ethical lines you can see how you could be the you could be the unintended target of some misdirected feelings or some stuff from the past from their own stuff now it's being put onto you or they could be giving you advice that's not helpful to you or that's actively harming you or harming people in your vicinity now this this is very common in uh therapy it's going to happen with therapists it's up to them to control themselves and to recognize when it's happening for them, when those feelings are coming up. That's why therapists are supposed to have counselors or supervisors. I, that's, that's the word. I think they're supposed to be, they're supposed to have supervisors or therapists that they go to. Uh, I believe it's once a week or something like that. And that's where they're supposed to be able to dump out a lot of their feelings and recognize like, oh, I think that this particular client that I have is actually reminding me of a situation that I used to be in or is triggering me in some other way. How do I navigate that? How do I work on that? So yeah, that was a lot before I got get into the actual article. Let me talk about some of the feelings that I have about this article. So like I said in the beginning, I think that this is an incredible topic and I'm so happy that Rebecca was able to cover it 
and that it was able to make waves in the way that it has. I think that people will be talking about this article for a while. I also think that the writing could be a little bit sharper and even like the title could be adjusted like instead of selfish I would probably put self-centered and I know the writer in me is jumping out the editor the former editor in me is jumping out but there's something about the word selfish that in my opinion is not helpful it is like a judgment to a particular what need that people might have or way that people might be acting and also that word has been used against people who are people pleasers or against people who already overgive. And so people who tend to sort of overgive air quotes tend to feel like, oh, I'm selfish. Or if I don't overgive, I am selfish. So I think there is something about the word selfish that rubs me wrong. And um, even when you talk about people who are people pleasers, who overgive, overgivers, whatever, when you really pay attention to what they're doing, they are acting in a way so that everybody thinks that they're a good person. So once again, that's like, that's not about necessarily like actually helping people. It's like this fine line, right? It's not, a, it's not always fully rooted in actually helping people in the way that they need to be helped, that they've asked you for. It's often not based in consent. Like, oh, like, has this person asked me to do this? No. Am I doing this from the kindness of my heart? Uh, Okay, yes, I am. But is, is this what this person needs? Mm, no. Or how about let me go ask, hey, would you be okay with if I did this? Oh, no, actually, I don't need that. No, thank you. Am I able to sit with that? No, thank you. Or is this really about me wanting to feel like a good person and prove to everybody that I'm a good person? See, now, selfish doesn't exactly get to all of that nuance right and I don't know that any word one word could do that but I think self-centered is a bit more spot on because the per the reason why the overgiver tends to be giving is because of this internal feeling their center is needing to prove that they're a good person so it's about them being completely self-centered and not necessarily like in a judgmental way oh man huh, how to how to navigate this uh I don't mean that in a super judgmental way like you are completely self-centered I mean it like the reason why you're doing this is to prove to everyone that you are a good person so the reason why you're doing this is about you it's not about necessarily meeting someone else's need necessarily it's more so about quelling that feeling that you have that you're you're a bad person or that you don't want to be hurt or abandoned or whatever. So that might also be getting into <laughs> some like sociologic, so sociological uh, arguments or conversations about is any human act uh, completely selfless or all of that sort of stuff, um, <laughs> which that's a whole other episode, right? But um, I prefer the word self-centered versus selfish, but that might just be sort of like a me thing. And then also, you know, CBT talk therapy in particular, in, in, in terms of like the title of the actual article, I would have preferred something else, something more sharp, but you know, whatever, whatever. But um, <laughs> back to some of my um, thoughts on the article. 
The writing could be sharper because it's a bit vague in areas and lacking specificity. And also, things like wounds, attachment styles, age, being conflict avoidant, but using therapy to avoid, not knowing how to ask for your needs, swinging from one end of the pendulum of having no boundaries to the other end of the pendulum to having hard, rigid boundaries, not knowing tenets of conflict resolution, etc. So like all of those things I just mentioned, they weren't really referenced in the article. It was just, oh, is therapy just making us more selfish? And it's like, well, these are some of the reasons why a person would be using therapy language to be acting out in, in some of these ways, you know, and I know it's just one article. I think, you know what I think? I think I would have preferred a series of articles on this topic with a better t- title <laughs> and really go in depth on it. So maybe, maybe this is like me telling myself, like, maybe you should write, <laughs> maybe you should write a book on it. <laughs> no 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 more books (laughs) but yeah seriously I think that this problem that a lot of people see arising I think that this is a natural result of some of the externals of our culture changing but many of the internal and systemic processes still being in place and sentiments about how we should all be in therapy. This is a result of sentiments like that. People are also in therapy and very sure of their side of things, or a therapist does not have the whole context, only what you bring in, plus their own limitations and personal or perceptive bias. If you are not learning both accountability or self-reflection and how to meet your own needs, and ask for your needs from others, therapy can be detrimental. So you have to learn both. You have to learn in therapy, not just accountability and self-reflection, but you also have to learn how to meet your own needs and how to ask for others to meet your needs. You have to you have to do all of that. Like it can't be just, oh, I'm in therapy and I'm realizing like everybody around me is toxic. Like, uh, uh, oh, oh, okay. Okay, no, because I've, child, I've been there. I've been there. Okay, so we're realizing some things. Great. What else are we realizing? What else are we realizing about, like, aspects of things that we might be bringing into it? What else are we realizing about our limitations or fears of conflict, right? Because, honestly, if I'm really keeping it a buck, okay, if you don't know how to have healthy conflict, I can promise you, even with the nicest person, even with the most well-meaning person, that relationship will feel unfulfilling for you eventually. Eventually. Maybe at first it's cute. Maybe after a year, two years, three years, four years, it's still cute. If you do not get good at healthy conflict, every relationship that you will have will be unfulfilling. Nobody's going to just know. Nobody's going to just know, even if they are super hyper sensitive and hyper aware and blah, blah. If you do not get good at how having healthy conflict, your relationships are going to be unfulfilling, dear, because people cannot read your mind. They might be able to read your body language from time to time, but they can't read your mind. Okay. Anyway. (laughs) Uh, So also, like many other tools, you can use psychological concepts and psychological speech to harm others 
or to be completely self-centered. The internal transformation can really take shape when you understand and heal the feeling you may have to have things exactly your way, to control the behaviors of others, and why you actually feel chronically unsafe on a subconscious level. So we're talking about root causes, like root causes, which talk therapy often doesn't address or effectively treat. So now I want to go into the actual article, what's got all of the girls upset, what's got the girls up. I want to go into the article and actually like read a couple of passages that I found really uh, either cool or I learned something from. In recent years, therapy concepts like self-care and boundary setting have shown up everywhere online, with Instagram accounts and other social media communities sharing mantras and advice advocating for self-actualization. TikTok therapists like Nadia Adesi and Therapy Jeff offer tips for struggling with anxiety, self-esteem, and people-pleasing. Therapy speak, prescriptive language describing certain psychological concepts and behaviors, can be found everywhere from group can be found everywhere from group chats to dating apps now we have more than we have more language we have more language to advocate for ourselves and our needs whether it be canceling plans when we feel overwhelmed or ending relationships that no longer serve us it's important to be able to set boundaries and advocate for yourself occasionally though the emphasis on protecting one's individual needs can overlook the fact that someone else is on the other side of that boundary setting so i really like this section i really really like this section i think this section is really uh strong and also it's a great like lead into the topic lead into the 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 murky waters of this topic i think that it acknowledges the the like i said before in the beginning the the cultural shift or at least like some of the cultural shift on the surface really uh that has happened and that it's kind of become inescapable and it's like protect your peace and cut the toxic people off and self-talk and blah 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 and you know this reminds me i i'm just i'm not gonna tell the whole story but a couple of weeks ago, I hung out with one of my friends and it was like a group of us. It was a group of her friends and it was a good night. We went and saw Creed 3, which I'm actually going to reference again later on in this episode. But after we saw Creed 3, we all went out like across the street to just grab dinner. We were hungry. And I remember the person I sat next to, you know, she had told me that she was in therapy and that she found a black therapist, a black woman therapist that just like understood her. And like, I was like, oh, wow, that's like amazing. And that's beautiful. And like, I'm I'm happy to hear that. That's that's great. Later on in the conversation, I basically said that, you know, for my birthdays, I'm not very big on celebrating my birthdays. And when I share this with people, it tends to like upset them for some like kind of strange reason, or to me, it's strange because that's just been my experience. It's happened for a very long time. I'm now 34. I just turned 34. And yeah, when I tell people like, oh, you know, I'm not a big birthday person or like, I, I don't really like to sort of make a big fuss or like, I'm not really into it. People have some really strange reactions. And yeah. <laughs> and that person who was sitting next to me, the woman who was sitting next to me at dinner, after I said this, she started to have a really strong reaction. 
she started to get really upset. She started to try to like diagnose me and talk about trauma. This is the first time I've met this woman. I do not know her at all. And she started to insist that this was because I don't like people celebrating me. I don't have people in my life who celebrate me. She started going on and on and talking about, oh, this is because I'm traumatized and all of this stuff. And, you know, <laughs> to be honest, <laughs> like this literally happens to me all the time. <laughs> maybe not those exact words or maybe not exactly in that same exact way. But people have a very strong reaction to hearing that somebody like, oh, is not super into their birthday. They have a hard time accepting that. They, even if they, in that conversation, they'll be like, oh, okay. When your birthday comes around, if they're still in your life, when your birthday comes around, they're going to try to force you into, or at least this is my experience. I don't want to speak for anybody else, but they're going to, when your birthday comes around, they're going to try to force you into this big birthday celebration that you specifically said, hey, I'm not really into it. I really don't want that because they feel uncomfortable with the idea of not being celebrated on their birthday. And so they assume that you must feel that way too. They assume that if you don't want all your friends and all your family around you on your birthday, singing happy birthday to you with a cake in that particular way, maybe at a restaurant or whatever, that there must be something wrong with you or Uh, you're just so traumatized or what you need is actually for someone to actually go and do it for you. And they're going to be the person to heal you and do it for you and, and make you feel special on your birthday. And yes. So remember earlier in the episode when I was saying how over some overgivers and people pleasers and, and the like, oftentimes overgive or people please or whatever because it's some internal thing that they're working through or something inside of them makes them feel either like a bad person or they feel like they're going to get abandoned or whatever this is the only way I can really understand what's happening they feel so uncomfortable with the idea of their friends not showing up for them in a physical grandiose way on their birthday and making it all about them and 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 all of that The idea of them being with themselves on their birthday is terrifying. It makes them feel unloved. Whereas for me, being with myself on my birthday sounds like heaven. It sounds wonderful. Going to get a facial, going to get a massage with myself on my birthday sounds like the best idea. Just being home with my feet up, watching movies that I want to watch and ordering takeout for my birthday sounds incredible being at home playing video games not having to do anything not having to edit not have to having to write or read or act or wait on people uh i'm a bartender not having to take care of others for my birthday that sounds incredible that sounds great that sounds like a great time i am looking forward to that that sounds great to other people that sounds miserable The common denominator here is I am me and you are you. What works for me and makes me feel good and lights me up and makes me feel peace is not what's going to light you up and make you feel peace. What lights you up and makes you feel peace and happy and joy is not going to light me up and not going to make me feel peace. So I just wanted to share that because... (laughs) 
I think there's also this thing that's happened in society where people are like, oh, I'm in therapy, so surely I'm correct. My my conclusions that I come to or the way I handle things or whatever, it's correct. I have a therapist. You don't. Okay? I'm better than you. I'm 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 in therapy. I know the language. I know the lingo. I know what a traumatized person looks like. You know, so that's for me, that's what this article is starting to get to. Like this culture of therapy, the the culture of therapy now, right? That's what we're talking about. We're talking about the culture of therapy, the culture of what it means to be in therapy and how it has some really, really unsavory edges. So I just wanted to read this other piece from the article. Beyond boundary setting and inflexibility, the proliferation of therapy speak has also inspired some people to assign labels like toxic and narcissistic to certain relationships or behaviors. Though toxic people and narcissists do exist, these armchair diagnoses don't always accurately capture every dynamic, and being on the receiving end of this language can be destabilizing when it's misplaced. Caitlin, 30, and her wife, Camille, 32, from Chicago, found themselves in a difficult situation when a couple they were close with began pulling away without explanation. When Caitlin confronted them about why they were ghosting, they essentially proceeded to do an intervention, accusing her of mistreating and abusing Camille and claiming her relationship dynamic made them uncomfortable. The husband of the couple told me that it was clear I was incapable of being self-reflective and all this stuff of basically using therapy speak to say, you're a shitty person and you don't care about other people and you're a narcissist, Caitlin says. Camille assured her there was nothing wrong, but the conversation still devastated Caitlin. She reached out to everyone she knew to see if they could corroborate the toxic picture the couple had painted. I called my mom. I called my sister. I called my best friend. Everybody to be like, is there something that I'm not seeing here that they're seeing that I need to change? She says, I had a complete breakdown. Months later, the couple reached out, admitted they were projecting their own relationship troubles onto Caitlin and Camille, and eventually split up but the ordeal had taken its toll. So (laughs) one thing about human beings, one thing about us, we're going to project our internal reality onto our world. We're going to project our internal reality onto other people. We're going to project our own stuff onto other people. We will get new language to project our own stuff onto people. So this is where like the balance between self-reflective and the balance between asking for needs in a healthy way, healthy conflict really comes in strongly. Being self-reflective. Hmm. Am I the problem? Is this person the problem? Do I have needs that have gone unaddressed? Have I spoken up about some of my needs? Like I need peace and peace looks like when we speak to each other, we speak respectfully and We are really, really honest in an emotional, like honest way, but in a way that feels safe and is not like these, these big words and like these words that, that make me feel judged or that are judgmental or pathologizing, you know, and on and on. So I think that therapy can also foster this main character syndrome in a lot of us, but People are not characters in your story. People are not little sims, but trauma says otherwise. When you've experienced incredible amounts of trauma, 
your brain thinks that everybody is either doing something to you or exists for you or for your benefit or or detriment, one of the other. You're either for my detriment or you're for my benefit. You're not like your own human being with your own stuff. You are a character in my world, in my story, in my head. So I wanted to talk about how vulnerability is a spectrum. And remember when I said, oh, I'm going to come back to Creed 3. So yeah, uh, it's about that time. So I remember there was this really impactful scene in Creed 3 with Tessa Thompson and Michael B. Jordan. And and I really, I really liked that moment, those moments. I really liked a lot of the writing around it. I really liked something about this scene. And it was basically this scene where... You know, Michael B. Jordan is talking about how, you know, being vulnerable, he says this stuff. He doesn't say the V word. (laughs) He says, this stuff is so easy for you. And Tessa is like, no, it's not. It's really hard, but I work really hard at it and I don't give up, essentially. And I like that moment because, you know, these bioessentialist ideas that that exist around us about like what men are and what women are and like what men are naturally and what women are naturally they exist around us and people really believe that really people really believe that women are autom- girls too girls and women are just automatically better at emotions and better at emotional intelligence and better at vulnerability and it's not true it's not true i don't know like i don't I, I, it's it's not true and it requires work and also vulnerability is a spectrum and i wanted to use like i wanted to demonstrate that with using two different topics right these are going to be generalizations right and i'm going to clarify too but the topic of basketball or sports versus the topic of love and romantic relationships Obviously, many women play play basketball. Obviously, many women watch basketball, play sports. Obviously. Obviously, many men are in love in romantic relationships, talk about love, talk about romantic relationships, obviously. Just for the sake of this conversation, let's just talk, let's just let's just say that a lot of a lot more men or a lot of men talk about basketball, right? And how on the surface talking about basketball is not seen as a vulnerable thing whereas the idea of talking about love which people associate that oh women talk about love and romantic relationships all the time or a lot more the idea of love is seen as inherently vulnerable so i want to break down or get into the specifics of both of those i just as an example so when we think of basketball, we think of people who go to basketball not to be vulnerable, not to talk about emotions or talk about things that are feeling things. But I think a vulnerable aspect of basketball is watching somebody try or if you're playing it, you're trying your hardest and you're trying to win. You're trying to be better. You're trying to be good. And in addition to that, your body is on display, like your physicality, your the way you move and just your body, just physically. And there's a lot of vulnerability in just being seen, being seen physically and being seen trying. You're trying physically. There's effort there. Those are vulnerable things, even if people don't always see it in that way. Or even if sports goers or basketball goers, people who watch basketball, 
don't automatically see it as like, oh, this is an act of vulnerability. It is. There's some vulnerability there. There are a lot of people who don't want to be seen, who it feels very vulnerable for them because the act of being seen physically, even if it is just your physical body, is vulnerable. There is some vulnerability there. But we don't really acknowledge that as a society in the same way that we acknowledge the idea of the topic of love. And now onto the topic of love. You can use language about love, language about relationships to avoid being vulnerable. You can talk about love all day and like the the highs and lows or the metaphors and the poems and your ideal version of love and spend that entire conversation not talking about your needs. Spend that entire conversation not saying, hey, I have a boundary here actually around like certain aspects of love or actually we've been talking about this for 30 minutes. Can we move on to another topic? You can use love to mask. You can use these conversations about love to mask what you really need and really what you really want. You can use the topic of romantic love to mask or to avoid talking about how in friendship you would want this from your friends. So you can be talking to a group of your friends and I've, I've seen this so many times because growing up, I was allowed to be like a fly on the wall in conversations that girls and women were having. And they would just kind of let me sit there. And I would see it so many times. Like I would be maybe close to like one or two people in the room and they would be talking about these deep topics or uh, about love and romance and, and all of that. And the whole time they feel slighted by one of their friends in the conver- in the room, but they're not going to talk about it. They're not going to talk about it. So I just, I, I just wanted to, I just wanted to put that in at the end and just like, you know, just kind of, you know, let y'all sit on that. You know, these, these ideas that we have about gender and also these ideas about certain topics, like, oh, this is inherently vulnerable and this is inherently not a vulnerable topic. Well, that's not always true. And, and also vulnerability is a spectrum. So you might feel comfortable talking about the ins and outs of love and heartache and blah, blah, blah. But you might feel really uncomfortable and terrified of talking about your needs, your needs, what you need and like the specific needs, not the big ones, the the specific needs, how you want them enacted, how you want, you know, if you're into like love languages, how what your love language is and when you want it to happen and da, 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 or your boundaries. And like, oh, actually, no, can we only speak about this topic for two minutes, three minutes, a few minutes, and then can we move on? Needs, boundaries, things in your family that have happened. Vulnerability is a spectrum. You know, vulnerability is a spectrum. And obviously there are some people who are kind of on, you know, a a sort of further end of, of one spectrum or whatever. But I think that the ways that we think about these topics and talk about them deserve nuance. And that kind of is what I like about this article is that we're now getting beyond the 101 of therapy and the 101 of mental wellness into like, oh no, now we're getting into the mud a little bit. Like we're getting into like, oh, this is not always good. Oh, this is actually crazy sometimes, you know? And one last thing I want to leave y'all with is a question. Have you ever used therapy talk to be avoidant or pathologize others? You could sit on that. You could think it through. You can analyze what was underneath that. What were you really trying to accomplish? And try to be, you know, honest and try to be vulnerable and try to be flexible. Okay. 
Okay. Thank you, everyone. I'll talk to y'all later. Peace. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to the Let's Heal Already podcast. To be clear, I'm not advocating for an emotionally intelligent patriarch or for more men to begin and end their work at feeling comfortable painting their nails, wearing dresses, or expanding what falls under the fold of masculinity. Similarly, I do not want to be a highly efficient, well-adjusted worker under capitalism, which is often the aim of Western therapy models. I am calling for the system to be abolished. That system is imperialist, cis-heterosexist, white supremacist, capitalist, patriarchy. Please leave a rating or review on the platform you use to listen to this podcast, and feel free to share this with your friends. Donation to show support can be made at J-R-Y-U-S-S-U-F on Venmo.